Hello, everyone, and welcome to the PostCQ Advisor podcast. I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in, and please be sure to check out our website, postacuteadvisor.blr.com, for all of your post-to-care news and information, including future podcasts. My name is Sarah Schock, and I'm one of the content specialists for HC Pro and Decision Health. With us today is Bob Marquette, an attorney at Hall, Render, Killian, Heath, and Lyman, PC, focusing on home health, hospice, and private duty-related issues. Welcome, Bob. Getting a clear face-to-face encounter with your patient records is critical to avoid challenges in pre-claim and post-claim reviews, yet agencies continue to struggle with this clear and important hurdle. So let's talk about face-to-face encounters. First of all, what's the most common issue with face-to-face documentation? I think the most common issue I see is the supporting documentation and does it support the certification the physician made. Since they changed the rule several years ago, the physician certification has kind of become the simple part. There's a five things, physician certifies, I think it's five, and they sign it where we go. The, the problem comes in in that they, the physician's documentation has to support the certification. And physicians don't think about home health when they're seeing the patient. They're thinking about the patient. They're thinking about the patient's disease and the questions they're asking. And when they document, the physician's documenting for their billing. Because remember, the, the physicians are billing for their services, often to Medicare, and they have supporting documentation requirements related to their E&M and other codes. And so they're, when they're doing their documentation, they're not thinking about us getting paid. Okay, and um, do any issues usually arise with signatures and dates? Any technical issues? Sometimes I'll see signature issues where this can come up with physician electronic signatures where they don't appear where you expect them to in the record. I've seen things where the physician will, the EMR will sign the document or the portal will sign the document and maybe it's several pages down from where you think it would be especially the portals where you, you send the document in and the portal attaches it. I've seen issues with the physician just not signing or the physician, because sometimes we'll include the face-to-face documentation, maybe the certification is part of our 45, but in either case, we may miss signatures. And I, you'll sometimes see auditors deny claims because the signature date is after the claim date. Technically, the rule is that the Orders have to be signed before I submit the claim, but missing signatures are always a problem. Another one that's not exactly the face-to-face that can come up when the physician certification, when they sign the 45, is did the nurse sign the plan of care so that my signatures are missing on, the, on, the, on my side, my nurse didn't sign, which means I have a gap in orders. So maybe my certification is good, my face-to-face certification is good, but because I've got a missing signature from the nurse, I have a gap in order. So I've cleared the home the face-to-face hurdle only to trip and plant my face in the ground on the physician orders hurdle. So signatures can be very important. I, I would tell clients, when you get the documents back, check all your signatures. And and don't, because when you, when you get the 45 back, you get the signed, certified face-to-face, be sure to check your own signatures because you're checking them anyway, so check them both. But make sure you've got all the physician signatures. And when you send the stuff out to the physician, to get countersigned, to get the, the, the face-to-face certification and your normal home health certification back, be sure to follow up. 
because this isn't just a, can be not only a payment issue, it can also be a survey issue. When the docs take a, take a lot, and this is a, something we've seen a lot of in 2020, when everything shut down and the physicians went home, a difficult problem that is getting the physicians to sign the certification and to sign the face-to-face -face increased because they weren't there. I have clients that it, it went from 30 to 45 days to do a signature to significantly longer because the docs weren't in their office. I had one client say, I can't reach anybody. The phone at the doc's office just goes straight to voicemail and nobody calls back. And so that's an extreme situation, but we need to be following up. We need to have a process to make sure we're, we're following up to try to get those signatures. We don't have a signature, we're reaching back out and we're documenting that because while the, the, the signature might deny us payment, it might also cause a surveyor to come in and note the missing signatures and raise that as a survey finding as well. So there's several good reasons to document your follow-up and to push the physicians. You obviously want to be careful. We don't want to upset or alienate physicians. They don't like our constantly calling them. But make those follow-up calls, document those follow-up calls, and even document who you spoke with so that later you have a record with the physician of who you've been talking to about getting those signatures. Okay, perfect. And um, the face-to-face -face, uh, can be performed within 30 days of the start of care. So are agencies taking advantage of the opportunity to get it uh, when they initially receive uh, the patient, or are a lot of them missing the mark and not doing it in the first 30 days? So in many cases, we have a face-to-face -face from before the start of care. A lot of our cases are coming to us from referrals from the physician, so we've had a face-to-face -face encounter. You can you can do it 90 days before, 30 days after, and most of the face-to-face -face encounters I see are from hospitals. You get a lot of the face-to-face -face encounter happens in a hospital or a facility and the patient's then being referred home or some with the PCP, where I find the ability to have the face-to-face -face after the start of care can be extremely important is when you get that referral and you get the face-to-face -face documentation from a prior encounter. So there's been an encounter before the start of care that may or may not relate to the reason you're seeing the patient. Because remember, the face-to-face -face encounter has to relate, or I should say be related to, the reasons the patient's been referred to home health. Well, sometimes what happens is we get the face-to-face -face referral, and what the physician saw the patient for and what we have been referred, the patient's been referred to us for, are different. And so if the patient was seen by the, the face-to-face -face encounter shows the patient was seen by the physician for the flu, let's say. But then we're seeing them for some other diagnosis, maybe, I was gonna say a post, you know, post-op or something, but if it's post-op, I'm gonna have a hospital face-to-face -face encounter. But if, if it's something different, so maybe one was the flu, one was they injured their arm or they're having some issues with, I don't know, incontinence or something, there's some other problem. If the, the two don't link, then the auditor will say, wait a second, the physician saw the patient for this issue, you referred for this different issue, and therefore the face-to-face -face encounter isn't related to the reason the patient is getting home health. So when you get the documentation, it's important to look because you have that opportunity in that 30-day window after start of care to get another face-to-face -face encounter. So if you realize you're seeing the patient for something other than what the patient saw the physician for in prior to the admission to home health, you can reach out to the physician and the patient and say, we need to get a valid face-to-face -face encounter. You didn't see the patient for this reason, 
And so we need you to see the patient and have a face-to-face -face encounter to certify the patient. So that, that's where that, you know, I call it grace period, can come into play. It allows you to fix the problem. But to do that, you have to first be very aware of that and be checking your face-to-face -face documentation to make sure what you get at the start of care lines up with the reason you're seeing the patient. Okay. And would you be able to provide any, a couple examples of where auditors have applied standards to a face-to-face -face encounter that aren't in the rules? So I, I just had one, but it, it predates the current rules. The rules have changed significantly. So one thing, you don't see this as much now because we've kind of settled into one rule, but you used to have an issue of because the rules changed every year, did they apply the right year standard to your documentation? Now, what it tends to be is they, they look, I was just the signature, they look for the easy knockout, and then they go back and look at the physician's documentation and, and does it support it. And so the, 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 what I have seen where they've applied the standard, since we've gone to the physician's record as the issue, it's, it's pretty clear that they can look at the physician's record and the max have been very clear on you have to have the encounter note from the face-to-face -face encounter. And so I've seen them apply that one. They didn't, the patient, or the DHC didn't supply the note of the encounter. And so that's, that's actually the correct standard. That's just on us because we forgot to get it. Then what happens is when they look at it, physicians tend to be in a hurry. And physicians tend to not necessarily document clearly. And so then where it starts to become subjective is does the physician's documentation clearly articulate the findings, et cetera, that support the referral? And it doesn't always. My feeling has always been if the doc saw the patient and it's for the reason that we have received the patient on a referral, that should be sufficient simply because the original purpose and face-to-face encounter requirement in the statute didn't include any of this, these additional documentation requirements. The point was Congress was concerned back in 2010 that home health agencies were getting patients from physicians who were certifying these patients for home health who'd never seen the patient because that was happening. There were cases in Miami and LA and Cleveland, some of the, some of the fraud hotspots from back in the day, where physicians were simply being paid to certify patients. And so Medicare went to Congress and Congress passed, passed requirements that the physicians see them. So if the physician's documentation shows there was an encounter, maybe it's not the most you know, clearly documented. The, the doc's not writing a dissertation about home health. The doctor's recording their findings for purposes of their diagnosis. And doctors get a lot of scrutiny as well. I have actually helped doctors on appeals and, and they get grilled for their documentation. I had one doctor say, if I documented the way Medicare wanted me to document, I'd have to hire a full-time employee to simply follow me around and write down everything I say and do. Well, that's not happening. And so the, doc, the doctor's documentation is sometimes found insufficient. And, and that's where I think the auditors are applying a somewhat subjective standard. It's, it's sort of how they used to do with the narrative requirement we had back before 2015. And actually, I had a, a hearing this week where that issue of the narrative, which is no longer a requirement, but the subjectivity of the auditor's review was apparent then, as it is now when they look at the physician documentation. And the example I gave was 
two claims in the appeal. One was approved, one was denied. One was denied face to face, and the other wasn't. But the documentation is almost identical. That's that's as subjective as it gets. And so it's the same thing with the physician. Sometimes the auditors will let the the relatively Spartan documentation go through. Sometimes they won't. And and that's subjective because it it tells the physician or it tells us to tell the physician that they need to have something to link to our referral to our care. But it's not always it's not always very clear. It's not always you know spelled out in you know obvious black and white detail. And that can be a problem. Now the rule allows us to fix that. It's clear under the rules as they stand, we can supplement the physician's record. And that's where I think many agencies fall down because the auditors are relatively subjective in their review of the physician's documentation. And let's be honest, the auditors tend to err on the side of take the money back. So they're not giving us the benefit of the doubt when they review our documentation. Well, if you go back to the guidance, you go back to the Medler and Matters article from a few years back, I think it's SE 1531, that outline how we can use our records to supplement the physician. So it gives examples of sending back with, when we send the plan of care, et cetera, including parts of the OASIS assessment that support it to fill in the blanks. You know, one example in the Another Matters article is the patient, the doc finds the patient to be homebound, but doesn't articulate it clearly, and the agency supplements the physician's record by sending back to the physician portions of the assessment that show that the patient is blind and has some other disability issues, which then supports the physician's certificate homebound status. So we can supplement that the physician then has to take our documentation and or the nurse practitioner, because remember now nurse practitioners can certify and, and, and all that. So they can take it back and then they sign and date it to document and demonstrate to the reviewer that they adopted that documentation into their record. So then we have now given them more detail because we go out and assess the patient. We're focused on homebound status. We're we're focused on the medical necessity of our care because that's what we get paid for and that's this document. So we can then go back to the physician and say, yeah, and there's different ways to do it. I've always suggested take a page out of the physician's playbook. When, when one physician refers a patient to another physician, so the PCP refers to a specialist, when the specialist is done with the care, they'll send a letter back to the PCP explaining what they've done. And then the PCP puts that in the record and away you go. So we could do something different, similar. You know, when you send the plan of care over, have it signed, you can include a cover letter or some description to say, when we saw the patient, we assess them, and based on these conditions, we think the following plan of care is appropriate. And then include some description of the patient's conditions that you think support homebound status, conditions that support the medical necessity of treatment. Maybe you include part of your oasis or, or other parts of the assessment so the doc can then review and sign it. You, then you have to educate the physician. The physician has to understand when they get that documentation, they have to sign and date it to, to note they're adopted into their record. And then once they've done that, you have now bolstered the physician's record in a, in a manner that you're allowed to do, which then gives us more comfort that even if the, the auditors apply this subjective standard and, and look at the documentation from the physician, think, well, it's not really great, not really super detailed, but there's more. Now there's our documentation. Now we've filled in the blanks to support that. It is important, however, that when you do that, you still have to remember our reason for seeing the patient, our primary diagnosis has to link back to the physician's record. If the physician's 
documented reasons for seeing the patient are not related to our documented reasons for seeing the patient, all the supplement in the world won't change that. And so in that scenario, we'd still need the physician to see the patient again to, to get a face-to-face encounter that's related to our care. But assuming those things tie together, and we've done a good job of documenting, then that becomes part of the physician's record, and that supports their face-to-face status, and that helps to then make it more difficult for the reviewer to knock out the claim for lack of supporting documentation. Okay, and do you have any other uh, general advice for agencies when dealing with face-to-face encounter issues? Well, I think it's important to be thorough, right? to, to look at everything, to make sure what you're getting in is good. I, I can't emphasize enough the importance of providing supporting documentation. It's not often you get to supplement the physician's record. And so take advantage of being able to do that because it gives us more comfort that our claims will be supported. The other thing I, I would say too is, I think it's important to continue to educate the physicians and, and try to help them understand we're never going to get them to document face-to-face and, and that, those types of things in a way that's as clear, I think, as the auditors would like. For example, in discussing you know, what does a physician have to, to do or say, you know, I, I had an ALJ ask just this week today, do they need to articulate homebound status in the same three-part test you see in the Medicare Benefit Policy Manual? I don't, I don't think that's required, and I don't think it's reasonable. We, we don't always do that. And to expect a physician who's not really seeing a homebound status to do that is probably not a reasonable expectation. But we do need them to remember that. We do want them to be aware of, of why you can refer. And that, that's something else that's related, is they need to understand that just because they think a patient would benefit from having a nurse seeing them once a week in the home, that's not going to be enough to support the claim. Because a lot of physicians aren't used to being, they're not really familiar with what we do. They might be familiar with the eligibility requirements, et cetera. And while this isn't purely a face-to-face thought, I do think it's important to make sure your physicians understand. Because one place where I see the breakdown is physicians who don't really understand the eligibility requirements. And they don't really understand them. And again, I'm not saying they have to know them like we know them. But if they truly think, well, she'd benefit from seeing a nurse, or she's homebound because as one physician said uh, many years ago, patient doesn't like to leave the house without her husband. Well, that, that's an interesting fact, but that's a shut-in, not a homebound patient. And so the doctors need to understand that because if they don't understand the types of patients we can take, then we're not going to get we're going to get more than we should be getting. And then that leads to having to go back to the physician and say no, because you can't supplement that to eligible. You're going to have to look at that, and when you see those things, understand if the patient's just not eligible, they're just not eligible. And we can't fix that. And part of that is making sure the physician understands the requirements. And that also then helps because the physician understands the requirements. They're more likely to be clear in their documentation. And it's also important to remind the physician, we're doing this because Medicare requires it. We understand it's difficult. We understand it's really probably not necessary. If you go back to the original idea of why we have face-to-face, that doctors were fraudulently certifying patients, I've said for years, People in Congress must have never dealt with criminals because if you think that one more certification is going to be the point where the criminal stops and says, well, that's too many lies, you've never met a criminal. So it's not really going to stop the criminals. They're just going to keep faking documentation. For the rest of us, it sets up all these hurdles. I've thought for years it's important 
to tell the, the docs, be clear about that. We're just a messenger. We only do this because Medicare requires it. Because then that sets up, but our supplementing your documentation is to make your life easier. We can do this. And yes, it's uh, yes, it's difficult for you. Maybe it's, a, it's an extra step. It's something difficult. You've got more to look at and sign off on. But it makes your life easier. It helps us get paid. And we're trying to make your life easier to refer your patients because you know your patients benefit from home health. So that, that way you, you can kind of set the tone that we're on the same team here. We're trying to help you. We're all in this together. It's, it's the Medicare requirements you're trying to deal with it. And that's where the difficulty comes from. Where that will help you as you're, as you're pushing the physician, I'm going to go back to the physician for them to understand you're in the same boat they are because they, they deal with Medicare too. And it sets, it, and he just sets a good tone and helps us in our efforts to make sure, because I know a lot of clients I talk to, one of their big fears with pushing back on, on face-to-face too much is the docs get tired of hearing about it. The docs get frustrated. The docs don't want to deal with it. And we're afraid if we push too hard, the docs will stop referring. And I think that's a completely valid consideration. That's why I think it's important to educate the physicians so they understand you're just as much of a, I hate to say victim of this, but I think it's been inflicted upon us. And that sometimes can help the physician to see it doesn't mean good to be upset with you because you're simply the messenger. Great. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for our listeners for tuning in. Please be sure to check out postsecutadvisor.blr.com for all upcoming podcasts. Catch you next time.